down here. Captain! Signatures detected. Shield up. Signatures detected. Context Southeast Command. What happened? Context Southeast Command. Delay that order. Context Southeast Command. This is the captain. Context Southeast Command. Get out of my chair. Chair, 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 chair. We have engaged the Klingons. 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 Welcome to The Greatest Discovery. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Hey, happy birthday, buddy. Hey, thanks, Ben. <laughs> you got me what I wanted the most, which was a new Star Trek series. Yeah, we needed one of these. It's new series day. It is. Great to see friend of the show, Anson Mount, back in the uh, driver's seat of a starship. Yeah. I want to thank Anson Mount for his birthday gift also. <laughs> yeah. A new Star Trek series starring him. Truly a kingly gift. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know what sucks about this gift, though, is that he gave it to everyone yeah. and not just me. <laughs> I hate that. Yeah. But you got to open it early. That's cool. That is cool. I do like that. Yeah. You were so tempted. You had the package... You were drumming your fingers on it. You picked it up and shook it next to your ear, see if you could see if it was like Legos or not. That's a yeah. distinctive shake. Yeah, I mean, the the sound that I heard was like, whatever your mind's eye associates with a great haircut, that's the sound <laughs> I heard. <laughs> I've been trying to take some inspiration from uh, pre-release images we've seen of Anson Mount's haircut in this show with my on-stage hair for our tour. Your stage hair has been great this tour <laughs> like capital g great in a way that i find very enviable our schedule has been so compressed yeah oftentimes we will get to a city drop our bags go right to the venue and what I, when we've had the time what i like to do is like do things like take a shower yeah <laughs> And when you have time to take a shower, you have time to to do your hair up and to show hair configuration. And yeah, yeah. things feel a lot better when you get the chance to do that. When we were in DC, I was terrified because we went out to a bar in between mm-hmm. sound check and the show and torrential hail. We yeah. were in like an outdoor bar that had a, a corrugated plastic roof. So yeah. the the hail was like drumming furiously on the roof and I was like my show hair will not make it to the show if we have to walk through this to get back to the venue. I was very nervous for your show hair because we had a secret back entrance to get to the venue <laughs> that we were relying on someone inside to let us in for. Yeah. And we could not get a hold of this person and there was a break in the hail and we're outside <laughs> and there's absolutely no cover and I'm looking at your hair and I'm looking at the door I know, and I'm thinking I there's know. just no way. There's no way. Bill and Wendy were in there, but they were working the merch table, so neither was looking at their phone. We tried both of them. Yeah. (laughs) It was was touch and go. Thought we'd have to go through the front door. I thought we were both going to be Santas that went through the front door, Ben, but we Uh we didn't have to do that. No. We saved your hair. We saved the day and your hair (laughs) and did a great show that night in D.C. Yeah. You think Anson Mount ever has to like walk from his trailer to, to the bridge? through hail like that? I mean, they're shooting in Toronto. They get all kinds of weather in Toronto. Anton Mount has a PA that just holds an umbrella. I bet. I bet. I bet he does. God. That's got to be so great. We should have had him at the at the Toronto show. We should have invited him. We fucked up. Yeah. Give me a call. We'll get together. What, whatever happened to that? 
I don't know. I didn't I didn't even think of it. I didn't I didn't think of him as being in Toronto. I think of him as being in the backstage area in Vegas the time we interviewed him for this very program. Ben, you can tell the story. The second season's been announced. <laughs> yeah. Why, why are you being so cagey? I'm not being cagey. I'm just saying I wasn't thinking of him as being in Toronto shooting season two of, of the yeah. show that we came here to review today yeah. because I I have a, a an association of just hanging out with him in a weird back alley of the Las Vegas Star Trek convention. This is agent and friend all over again, isn't it, Ben? Yeah. Have we ever told the thing about how when we were interviewing him, we like dragged a couple of folding chairs out out back of the Las Vegas Convention Center and we were interviewing Anson Mount and a black SUV pulls up and Nichelle Nichols gets out of it and goes into the convention. She walked right by us. It's yeah. maybe the most distractive I've ever been while trying to record this podcast. It's a story that's been told many times on this show. Oh, okay, good. The door opened up into my chair, almost <laughs> knocking me to the street. Uh-huh. Yeah, Nichelle Nichols just kicked it. Yeah. <laughs> Rocketing you. Yeah. 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 What I was starting to say was like the story of how this show even exists is kind of a miracle. Yeah. As if there is a force of will strong enough in the fan community to make a new series. And for Anson Mount to go from an actor on a show jumping in midstream yeah, to get a wave of positivity sufficient to carry him into being the star above the title of a brand new Star Trek show is incredible. Yeah, he did something that the scientists said was impossible. And yeah. I, I want to just get right into it, man. Should we review episode one of season one? Of Strange New Worlds? What's it called, Ben? Strange New Worlds. I mean, it would be so funny if the first episode of Star Trek The Next Generation was The Next Generation. (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't usually happen on Star Trek shows, right? No, it doesn't. Yeah. It's a bold move. Like a band calling their first album the name of the band, you know? (laughs) It's a bold move to begin a series with first contact from the contacted perspective. True. And I like this scene. Yeah. It's narrated by number one, and we get to see what happens when your space telescope stops (laughs) being aimed at uh, your sun and starts getting real by finding a starship in your orbit. Yeah. We're like going down a hallway, there's klaxons, and then we're in the control room, and these aliens are flipping out, learning that they are not alone in the universe. Whatever it is, it ain't local. Okay, okay, let's just calm down and pull up the star file on Vega. I feel like a dark suit and black hat always codes as fascists, though. Yeah. Like, you're in this control room, and it does not seem... Like a fun Kennedy Space Center kind of (laughs) installation. That seems like a hardened military base. It does, yeah. Where they're doing threat assessment on this thing. Yeah, this is like NORAD for the Kylie. Good thing they have nothing to worry about because I got to say, Ben, those one nacelle starships are like- They're not threatening. They are the least beautiful starships in the fleet. (laughs) There's something about that single dangle- I don't like. Yeah. I don't like looking at it. It looks gross to me. <laughs> I mean, I feel like the single dangle was introduced in the first Kelvin timeline JJ Abrams Star Trek movie. That ship met a heroic fate. 
at the right, end. Right. When they 9-11'd it into the scimitar. <laughs> and yet, not even that ship looked cool to me. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't like one nacelle. Get it out of here. Look, one nacelle is none. Two nacelles is one. <laughs> it's it's a lack of redundancy that I just find unbelievable in Star Trek. George Kirk was the captain of a starship for nine minutes. He didn't have enough time to learn how to land. I dare you to do better. George Kirk learned that his baby was being born and uh, looked for a way out. (laughs) (laughs) George Kirk would rather ram his single nacelle ship into another ship than be a father. (laughs) So, uh, So, yeah, we cut from that to... Montana. I would have liked to see the day the earth stood still in Montana. Yeah. God, this place is great. I mean, this place is supposed to look like Jim Kirk's Nexus fantasy cabin, right? I mean, right down to like the cracking of eggs and making breakfast. Like this is the dream. This is Kirk's Nexus dream. Yeah. It was like being inside joy. Besides which, I think the galaxy owes me one. It was just, I wish I could do what Pike did in the like interregnum between his shifts as captain of the enterprise i mean i love coming out of the gate straight away with this is a captain who fucks (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's a there's a topless babe in his bed a babe who loves him even though he looks like a grizzled fisherman yeah yeah he's got real covid beard covid hair yeah and it seems like they've known each other for a while this is not just a fling yeah they kind of have a fuck buddy relationship, I kind of felt like. Mm. More coffee, Captain Batum. Mm. Don't mind if I do, Captain Pike. They're not an item, but they enjoy each other's company and, and know each other carnally. I disagree with that. And the reason why is the five second kiss at the end of this scene. It was so long that it suggested to me that it was more significant than just a fling. Oh, interesting. Well, we'll see if he uh, if he beds anyone else in this right. series. Five seconds <laughs> is the limit of my kissing, too, says Captain Picard. <laughs> yeah, so he's uh, he's made her breakfast the morning after. She is not in on what's eating him, on what has caused him to go be a shaggy mess in Montana. What's eating you? Like so many of these pancakes. <laughs> expertly plated by the way by Captain Pike. Oh yeah, I love the the close up of him backhanding a pancake onto another pancake. God. Yeah. Pancakes were good. He cooks and he fucks, Ben. Yeah. He cooks and he fucks. He's the whole package. Yeah. <laughs> He's just a haircut away from being the total package. Yeah. The the thing that's bothering him is classified though, Adam. He can't talk about it. <laughs> it's one of the best kept secrets in Starfleet history. I just thought about another greatest gen t-shirt idea that we'll we'll sell four of. <laughs> a uh, a friend of DeSoto, I will say, made a mistake at the end of our DC show by walking into the backstage area, like behind the curtain, just invited themselves back there. And what made it better was this friend of DeSoto was wearing one of the shirts we sold four of, which was your awesome Klingon shirt idea. <laughs> Which, you want to uh, tell the viewers what it said? It, it says the warrior with an arrow pointing up, and then it says the legends with two <laughs> arrows pointing down. <laughs> we we put this up in the Max Fun store a couple years ago. They were very annoyed at us 
<laughs> this shirt got put into production and then sold four instances of. Yeah. <laughs> that shirt inspires the shirt that I'm thinking of now for this moment, which is an arrow pointing up saying the captain and an arrow pointing down that says the classified secret. It's classified. <laughs> <laughs> Not going to sell those either. Yeah, Captain Batal is off on a month-long deployment, so she says her goodbyes to Captain Pike. And There was an energy to the lady friend gesturing to the phone ringing that doesn't get picked up Mm -hmm. that I wonder if it was just modern times inserting themselves into this because this felt like Chekhov's other woman, right? Like, (laughs) aren't you going to pick up the phone? Phone's ringing again. Yep. Is that your wife, Captain Pike? <laughs> you ever going to answer? I thought you said you were through with her. <laughs> right. Yeah, but there's none of that energy in it besides what I brought to it. Yeah. It's clearly work. It's weird that you brought that energy to it. <laughs> you know what's fucked up is that Pike has a work communicator and a personal communicator. <laughs> Which one was ringing? Why do you have two? Do you have a burner communicator, Pike? <laughs> yeah. Where was Pike on January 6th? And, and does he have text with Mark Meadows? It's classified. Ah, oh, this is great. You got to cut outside. You got to get the pony ride. Yeah. You know Captain Pike likes himself some jazz horse. Yeah. But the horse gets buzzed by a shuttle. And uh, the shuttle sets down. The guy that comes out is an admiral he refers to as Bob. They're talking to us, aren't they? This has got to be at us. That would take a remarkable coincidence. We're not crazy for thinking that. What are we going to call this guy? We can't call him Admiral Bob. (laughs) That name is taken. I feel like we have to call him Admiral Bob. (laughs) We could call him Admiral Bald. Admiral Newbob? It could work. I don't like that at all. Yeah. Maybe they're all admirals, Bob, to us. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's it. He is there to give the bad news that number one disappeared on the aforementioned first contact mission. And uh, he would really very much like Pike to take the entrepreneur, which is still got a week's worth of rehab and renovation Mm-hmm. Uh, going on before it's it's space worthy to take the entrepreneur out to rescue her and see what happened with this first contact. Ben, not only is this a scene talking to us through a character named Admiral Bob, but it is a fairly direct reference to a Rambo film beginning <laughs> where a main character is lost behind enemy lines and it's yeah. up to our main character to go and rescue them. Yeah. Well, like the colonel says, good men are hard to find. Sorry to hear that. It's not my problem. And he doesn't want to initially, right? This is Rambo 3. Mm -hmm. This is Mm -hmm. Captain Pike at the monastery. He's living a life of quiet solitude, railing the occasional captain who comes through, (laughs) making some pancakes, making some pancake batter. You know Uh what I'm saying? Uh Uh-huh. He doesn't want to go back, but he's compelled to. Yeah. Rambo 3. You're always going to be tearing away at yourself until you come to terms with what you are. Until you come full circle. <laughs> One where he teams up with the Mujahideen. Yeah. Yeah. I love the Admiral. He's like, you can quit when you're home. Like, yeah. no one's trying to make you quit, but quit later. I need you back on that horse, Captain. Quit later. Quit once we've uh, rescued number one. Yeah. 
he's going to need the next six to eight hours before his call time to shave it down. Yeah. Because he leaves tonight. Smash cut to opening credits. Yeah. Which include the Star Trek preamble. Space. The final frontier. I really like the modern reimagining of the theme song. Yeah. This is friend of the show, Jeff Russo, at work here. I thought, like, the credits to the J.J. Abrams Star Trek indicated that this was possible. Like, you can make this song into something fresh and new sounding while still respecting the old. And this is, like, another version of that. I thought it was great. I did, too. And I like that. I feel like it it really says something specific that this is the first series that's used that since TNG. Like... They use it in the movie, but the use of it in a series, I think, is very meaningful. It's nice to hear the Star Trek Lord's Prayer again, (laughs) beginning (laughs) an episode. And Anson's read of it is good. Yeah, it's it's very good. When we come back from opening credits, we are on planet Vulcan for a dinner date between Spock and T'Pring. Yeah. And... uh, Pike isn't the only character who fucks, Ben. You are wearing ritual mating colors. So I am. Is this what it looks like when Ponfar goes well? <laughs> I feel like Ponfar is a little is a little out of control feeling. I mean, they're sitting down at a traditional Japanese restaurant yeah. having a dinner date. But like we've only seen Ponfar from the perspective of people that are like, I need to get to Vulcan fucking now. We've never seen somebody on Vulcan going through Ponfar. I don't think this is Ponfar. I think this is just courtship. Adam, they're going crazy. They kiss right in the middle of the restaurant. They're kicked out of the restaurant. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty scandalous. (laughs) They cut to the exterior of the restaurant and Spock is like tossed out on his belly. I think it's fun the moment they're having. This is familiar to a lot of long-term relationships who have yet to lock it down. Mm-hmm. This is the, what are we actually doing here conversation? Like, yeah. this is a, it's another birthday, Spock, at your favorite restaurant. <laughs> right. Like, we've done this for eight years. Yeah. Like, every time Spock is taken to praying on vacation and then yeah. they're like flying back from <laughs> Vulcan Bahamas and she's just got her arms crossed in the seat next to him. Yeah. She's super grumpy. He thinks she's just sad to be going back to work the next day, but that's not it at all. He is is misreading the situation. T'Pring doesn't want to tell her coworkers that still (laughs) it hasn't happened. No, but it's actually T'Pring that does the asking, which is great. I like it. You love to see it. Yeah. Good job, T'Pring. Put a ring on it. Lock it down. Yeah. I was beginning to think you would never ask. He said yes, Adam. (laughs) I remain skeptical. We cut over to, is this a Vulcan hotel room or is this where Spock and T'Pring live? I asked you this question when we were in Washington, D.C., a, a city surrounded by apartment buildings with floor-to-ceiling windows. Yeah. How comfortable you would be living in a place that was just all windows? Yeah. I don't think I would be. And here is Spock like in an apartment that is basically an aquarium. Yeah, yeah. He's putting it all on blast. It is not logical to peep though, right? So maybe he's fine walking around here naked. Maybe so, yeah. I thought he was facing away from T'Pring so he could kind of zhuzh himself up Mm -hmm. knowing what's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, here's a question, Ben. Did they eat 
Because you hope they got kicked out of the restaurant before the food oh, came. Oh, yeah. Because then they're ready to go. You want to fuck first. If they filled up at the restaurant, this could be a challenging situation. Yeah. I mean, people talk about the motion of the ocean, but when you're on a full stomach, that can lead to nausea. You know what we know about Spock is that he's pretty good at finger stuff. Yeah. So he can make it work in other ways. That's canonical. Yeah. I wasn't totally clear on whether they consider themselves all ready to be married or not, because he's like, he also gets the call, you know, right in the middle of the uh, the warm-up period of coitus. Are you naked? No, Captain. He was about to be. And he says, like, it's my bound duty to answer this phone because I took an oath. And she sort of implies that it it flies in the face of the marriage oath. But then, like, later in the scene, it seems like maybe they haven't gotten married yet. I've got to say that Spock is totally saved by Pike's FaceTime here. Because <laughs> based on what T'Pring is wearing, the Vulcan bra seems impossible to unclasp. <laughs> <laughs> there is, like... 70 clasps on the back of that thing. Oh, yeah. It's uh, it's a logic puzzle. <laughs> it's a form of meditation yeah. to undo a Vulcan bra. Perhaps you need to show me. Yeah, it's like the pile of sticks that Tuvok is always playing. Calto <laughs> <laughs> is as much a game of patience as it is of logic. The goal is not to try to force logic onto it, but to <laughs> understand through its chaos. <laughs> This FaceTime does not go well, Enterprise, because I don't, I mean, I know you and I have been on calls before where uh, the special person chimes in in the background. The chime is never a good thing. Not on a work call. If there's chiming happening, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. He kind of claps back at the chime in though, because he's like, all right, I'll be right there. T'Pring is going to understand. And yeah. when he hangs up, she's like, wow, that was really presumptuous. That should have been a query. Yeah, this is going to be a work-life balance problem going forward. Truly. I mean, he's going to be gone for five years at this point, right? God, it just sucks. Like, all the scenes to come where Spock is like, all right, I got to call home for a second. Just give me, I'm just going to duck into this alley. And then you expect them to come back for drinks, but they're gone for like 20 minutes. Yeah. And you see a lot of gesturing. Like right. a lot of a lot of hand talking. And he comes back and he seems stressed and kind of yeah. upset and orders yeah. something like way stiffer than what everybody else is drinking. <laughs> I mean, they got to catch up. Yeah, I guess that's part of it. But it's also <laughs> like, it seems a little bit pathological. Yeah, it's tough when you got that friend. The captain gets his traditional beauty shots of his ship from the shuttle on its way to it. I love the single brass instrument of seeing the Enterprise. Yeah. That's way better than the other versions. <laughs> he is kind of in no mood for it though, right? Like he's yeah. a little annoyed that he is headed back to it. He's a little annoyed that it hasn't been like run through its paces before they're taking it out of space dock. He's got a crew that doesn't include number one. Like, that's part of it. He's reading this pad, and it's got the file on his new number one on it. And I don't know if you read any of what was on the screen, but... I saw the word Gorn. That really leapt off the page. Yeah, I saw the word Gorn and four instances of the word trauma. Wow. And that gave me the context I needed. This is the first shot of Pike post-haircut, and I think we need to give this a little more time. It is so incredible. 
got he's got like four inches of pompadour. It is jaunty without being swoopy. I feel like they walked right up to rockabilly singer and took two big steps back and yeah. brought it back into like professionalism. Yeah. The sideburns are thick and not triangular in a way that you never see on Star Trek. He and Spock have kind of slabby, but very like barbershop fresh sideburns. Yeah. I wish I knew where the product began and the natural hair ended. Yeah. Because like I look at a hairstyle like this and I'm like, I can't just go to my hair cutter and like point to a, a picture of Anson Mountain and go, give me this. <laughs> I think very few people could have this if they wanted it. Yeah, man. I'm just an idiot with my own hair. I don't know how to do it. I saw pictures of us at the DC show and I had hail hair. I wasn't even out in hail. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like if you're an actor and you start to get the gray in your hair and it does what it is doing in Anson Mount's hair... You are so psyched, right? Like I'm getting like the most distinguished silver fox gray without it looking patchy or weird. Anson Mount got million dollar grays when they started coming in. He really, really did. It changed everything. I mean, he was a great actor before, but holy moly. (laughs) He looks like a superhero now. I am a lucky man. Do you think that they put a little like eyeliner or something in Spock's sideburns because they're like jet black even though they're quite short. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly what's happening there. I do like the little bit of like shag to his bangs. Yeah. Like uh, like running your fingers to the front a little bit, not making it a perfectly straight line. Ethan Peck's body is also just looking fucking great. God damn. Yeah, man. He looks good. Body goals. Star Trek horny cast today. Jim Shimoda. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> Yeah, so Pike and Spock are two of the only people who can talk a little bit with each other about what went down with Disco and Michael Burnham. Mm-hmm. And so they have a little reconnect about how it is a bit heavy for both of them to get their space shoes back on and go back out. There's a fun mix of personal and professional happening in this scene, right? Like, yeah. There's administrative work to update Pike about, but there's also that secret that only pike and spock know true but who's going to be working security pike thinks it should be spock but it's not it's not going to be it's going to be the lady whose file pike read on the shuttle over it's la'an nooney and singh's job what the hell and when he hits the bridge he gets the introduction to his crew yeah and we kind of go around the horn here meeting all of them yeah we've got a whole new bridge crew one familiar in uh, Cadet Ahura, but everybody mm-hmm. else is is new. We got Lieutenant Ortegas as the helms person, Ahura on comms, and an unnamed lieutenant at Ops. Yeah. Why did they name everyone except for her? <laughs> she must have been so pissed. Ops, how are we doing, Lieutenant? <laughs> Lights are green across the board. She feels ready to me, Captain. I would be really surprised if she doesn't wind up having a name because she's got a lot of lines in this episode. Yeah. It's time to go. They shove off and... Uh, Pike should know what he's doing here. He's guided a ship out of space dock many times before, but he catches a glimpse of himself in the reflective panel. This is going to be a problem if every time he catches a glimpse of himself in a reflective panel, he goes into a fugue state because the Enterprise is very reflective. We're five by five for warp, but is Captain Pike five by five? 
Instead of being psyched about how good he looks, he thinks about his time in the beeping chair. Yeah. And when he finally snaps back to, he does hit it to warp. He does. They are headed out. Is this the best part of being a captain? The, uh, the all right, we've headed out. It's time to go on the one MC and make my big speech. <laughs> yeah, we get to cut around to the whole ship. We get to see engineering. We get mm-hmm. to see the shipboard restaurant, mm-hmm. both of which look great. Oh, yeah. Try getting a reservation there if you're not a commissioned officer. Not happening. Did you wonder at all if these were final effects in the screener that we got? Because the warp looked different out the restaurant window than it did out the front of the view screen. That is a very interesting hypothesis, given that we received these screeners many weeks ago, even. Yeah. Than when we watched them. Yeah, I'll have to watch it again when the show drops live. Because I also just wanted to say, like, the special effects look quite different in this show than they have in Picard and Discovery. And they look more illustration oriented they're less Mm -hmm. like hyper realistic and more like richer colors but also like slightly less realistic looking renders right and i kind of like that as an aesthetic choice if that's what it is but but then this moment with the warp looking different out of two different windows made me wonder if we're just seeing something that isn't the final version yeah i mean maybe this is just an fpo effect and then they're still chewing on the renders ahead of the premiere (laughs) I love this moment. Shipwide cadet Aurora. Aye, sir. If you don't know who Pike is, if you didn't watch Discovery, this is your introduction. Yeah. And when he gets on the blower, he's like, hey, this is your pilot speaking. (laughs) I'm going to be the cool captain that you're going to love. Yeah. We're a little early out of the gate, so I hope we didn't catch anybody with your hair wet or your pants down. You'll love me because I am very good looking. I am very charismatic in a folksy non-specific kind of way and i've also promised you that you won't die on this mission (laughs) yeah this mission will not be anybody's last day a little bit ominous there (laughs) yeah i mean do you feel better or worse that you've been promised that you're gonna survive it i'd feel a little bit scared if that was something that my captain felt the need like if if your pilot said that when you were taking off you'd be like wait what the fuck Hey, let's put a pin in this for a second, because this comes up many times this episode, the difference between living and surviving specifically, Mm -hmm. and what Pike describes as death when it's not really death, because in Pike's quarters after this, he has another flashback to his future workplace accident when Spock gets to his quarters, and they... I mean, his quarters, Ben, are like the lobby of a nice hotel inside a larger, nicer hotel, (laughs) right down to the part where like Pike has an L-shaped bar in the middle of his quarters. Nice digs. It really is. I could spend a lot of time here. And so like Pike goes behind the bar. Sorry, and Brandy. And pours something for his buddy Spock. And Spock is concerned for Pike's wellness because he knows where Pike was on Boreth. Yeah. Are you... Yourself, sir. And people who go to Boreth come away changed for the experience. Right. He's like, it, was it something to do with monks or was it something to do with time crystals? And Pike is like, well, it wasn't something to do with monks. So <laughs> Spock can kind of extrapolate from that. You saw the future. I saw my own death, Spock. I mean, and this is where Pike describes it as the death, the death of the man he currently is, basically. That was what I wanted to interrogate. And I don't want to like... 
I don't want to get too much into like the semantics of this, uh-huh. but it might be interesting to do a little bit of it. Like what Pike is describing is death, but it's also not like he survives in the beeping chair. Right. And I don't remember him describing it as a form of death. I I remember him saying the word death, period. Yeah. I mean, there's like a linguistic constraint that English has. Like there are other languages that have more detailed and different versions of the word death. Is this the casualty problem all over again? <laughs> I saw my own casualty. Right. Yeah, it could be. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I mean... And I wonder how this hits if you are a person who uses a wheelchair. Like, does that, I mean, obviously the pike that is in the beeping chair is profoundly limited by that in its depiction. But is is that an uncomfortable way of talking about it if you're a wheelchair user or otherwise handicapped? Setting that specific question aside... What I really was comfortable and confident in was this relationship in this moment. Yeah. These two crew people and friends sitting at a bar talking about something deep and these very specific way that Spock supports him. Yeah. There is a bigger gap in like rank between Pike and yeah. Spock than there is between Kirk and Spock. And, and yet Pike really defers to Spock for some advice in this scene. I like the suggestion that it was their experience on Discovery that galvanized a relationship deeper than rank. Yeah. A relationship that superseded rank that could make a moment like this possible. And the advice that Spock gives is basically to try to find the positive in knowing your future. Say beep to the future, even when you're tempted to say beep, beep. I'm sorry, gentlemen. <laughs> Is this why uh, Spock knocked instead of using the doorbell? <laughs> <laughs> Captain, I knew that would upset you. <laughs> I have had the ship remove the doorbells. <laughs> They've gotten to the ship. They've removed all the holographic communications equipment. They've removed, <laughs> removed the doorbells. They're taking technology out left and right. <laughs> <laughs> there aren't even any chairs on this ship, man. It's bar stools. <laughs> <laughs> so they get to the orbit of uh, the Kylie system. Oh, man, I had a crush on a girl in high school named Kylie. Wow. Very excited to get to this planet. Jeez. <laughs> really brings it all back. Yeah, it sure does. The USS Archer was a three-person ship. Archer carried only Una and two astrophysicists. Is that just because like one nacelle can barely push a ship around so you can't put too many people on it? <laughs> like an overloaded life raft? <laughs> I don't know, but I mean, it, it suggests that maybe the ship was super tiny or that when you got a one nacelle, three people is all you need. It's plenty. Yeah, I don't know. So they're like scanning it and, and nobody's on board. So they must be on the planet, but they're not picking them up on the planet. Right. And so it's kind of a weird mystery. I mean, I like a ghost ship. A ghost ship is a fun beginning to a Star Trek story. I was very, very excited for them to beam over to ghost ship and they don't. Yeah. Wanted that too. But Lieutenant Noonien Singh argues that they should throw the shields up because they're not getting comms from the planet's surface. Spock is kind of pushing back on this saying like that is... 
going to be interpreted as a hostile act by these people that we are trying to first contact. But Pike sides with Singh and up the shields go just in time for a bunch of missiles to hit them from the surface. Yeah. Good call, number one. Their sensors find warp technology down on the planet, and it doesn't take them long to determine that it isn't in the form of a drive. It's a warp bomb. Yeah, it was the warp signature that drew them to the planet to make first contact in the first place, but it was misinterpreted. It was not that these people have achieved warp-capable space travel. Instead, they are using it to make an awful weapon, and this is enough to trigger a McLaughlin group. Issue one. Our first McLaughlin group of Strange New Worlds, Adam. Yeah, feels good. Get out the champagne. Hardly. What they surmise is that they didn't make this thing. Someone else set them up the warp bomb. (laughs) (laughs) And it's the first time it's ever happened. I love this historical fact. Spock is like, all of the member worlds in the Federation have always created their own warp technology, and that technology has always started with transportation. Right. Surface scans of the planet are consistent with pre-warp society. How is that possible? The two halves of this black and white cookie planet are at war, and this bomb is going to be a terrible thing Yeah, for the people who live there, because once this thing goes off- It's going to blow big. I mean, they're not they're not going to be building warp drives for transportation, that's for sure. No. But it's also kind of a puzzle because it, there is a general order one to consider. And if they go down and like try and take the bomb away from them or something, that would be a violation. They're, they're not allowed to contact species that are not capable of warp travel. And this fits that definition. And yet if they didn't come up with it, if they were given it, that would appear to be the loophole. And this is like a very Star Trek crux to a first season, first episode situation. It really is. This is core Star Trek belief shit here. We cannot interfere with their natural development. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I got to tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from what am I going to have for dinner to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product, or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer, 
featuring two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth, wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra-large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. They head down to Six Bay where we meet Dr. Mabenga, who shares a weird face stroke of finger gesture with Lieutenant Nunyan Singh. Uh-huh. What was that? I mean, it's wild how Dr. Mabenga, old friend of Pike and old friend of Noonien Singh. Yeah. But it seems like he never introduced them. Like, what's that about? Why is he like one of these people that keeps their friends in silos and never introduces them to each other? Yeah, I don't know. I, I think I kind of resemble that remark. <laughs> trying to be better at that. I think you're very good at introducing your friends to each other. A lot of your friends are friends with each other. Yeah. Hey, 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 we're all friends here, right? Yeah. Easy, easy. I like this doctor. Yeah. This doctor's got a fun vibe. And he's also got a nurse working with him who went to culinary school and specialized in loaf while there. <laughs> That's what her job is. Yeah. She makes the loaf. I'm gonna mess with your genome. Sounds like you're just the person for the job. Nurse Chapel is here to face of the enemy them so that they can go incognito down to this planet. She does not get along with Noonien Singh at all. No. But it doesn't look like Lieutenant Singh gets along with many people, period. <laughs> no. She's kind of a glutton for punishment because the gene therapy that they're going to get to blend in with the locals is going to uh, squish their faces up really fast and therefore be very painful. But Noonien Singh does not want the sedative portion of the course of treatment. Maybe I wasn't clear about the, the terrible pain part. Maybe I wasn't clear when I said no. Yeah, it's sedative first and then loaf for everyone. 
Yeah. Except for her. And uh, another variable here is what Spock has to go through because his dose may not last as long as it will for the others due to his Vulcan physiology. Right. So they all get injected. We cut away before we see the pain that Nunyan Singh goes through. And uh, they get into the transporter room looking like the people of uh, planet Kylie. It's weird. Pike has such a problem seeing his own reflection for fear of seeing melty face Pike. Uh Yet he gets his face totally loafed up here, not traumatized by it. Not in the slightest. Yeah. Weird, huh? He even looks good with loafy face. God. It's so irritating. (laughs) (laughs) I like that you can have your clothes changed en route. They get to the transporter room already loafed, and the transporter op is going to be like, I'm going to change your clothes in flight. Right. You don't have to take your pants off. I will take them off for you. Captain, where are my pants? It's so embarrassing when they arrive, and it's shorts with a long jacket. As the dress code, the way J. Crew tried to make this happen like five years ago, no one bought it. No <laughs> one's doing the suit with the shorts thing. Yeah. This Angus Young look never caught on. <laughs> I kind of like it, but uh, I mean, I understand why. Well, you've got the gams for it. Not many people do, and it looks like Spock has the gams for it. I have a thick thigh in a way that like, a skinny jean often is incompatible yeah. with me, so... Thick thighs save lives. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why he's so so humiliated by this. Vulcans are so touchy, man. For the record, this was not my choice. Yeah. When in Rome, Mr. Spock. I mean, he's fucking walking around in Star Trek Four with his fucking robe open half <laughs> the movie. You'd think he could wear shorts for five minutes on the planet. I love how throughout Star Trek, giant news screen in a town <laughs> plaza is code for... Pseudo fascist <laughs> bad things about to happen foreshadowing. Like this might as well be Cardassia here. It really, it really is. Very Cardassia Prime vibes. Mm-hmm. And it's also a society with a lot of handheld signs on poster board. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's a WrestleMania tonight on <laughs> Planet Kylie. And so everybody's got their signs ready. They may have been given the technology for warp, but they invented the poster board themselves. <laughs> yeah. I mean, can you imagine using warp technology to go off the top turnbuckle? Yeah. The way Undertaker through mankind <laughs> off the top of Hell in a Cell. The new number one, Lieutenant Nunian Singh, thinking a little bit faster than the captain and the science officer, convinces some local scientists that she is uh, in desperate need of medication and then basically has to like turn around and tell Spock to knock them out. He's like, it is fortunate their musculature is responsive. It's fortunate that you can finally take a hint. They got lucky, though. Spock is really someone for whom the women in his life kind of order him around, you know? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, he's, uh, I guess, like a lot of guys, he needs to be told when to do the neck pinch, you know? Right. (laughs) This is actually a good strategy by Spock because, like, some men would get excited and want to do the neck pinch too fast. Right. But the message here is keep doing what you're doing, Spock. Right, right. They also get lucky because they beam these guys up to six bay on the idea that they're going to just keep them asleep up there. 
but when they arrive in in Six Bay, Nurse Chapel is like, "This is great because we actually need like a sample of the DNA of these people because Spock's injection is already wearing off, and they're probably not even going to be able to get into the building that they're going to try and go in to scan for the survivors if I don't give them a booster." I love this suggestion because it puts us in proximity with Mabenga and Chapel, and that's a place where I want to be more often. Yeah. They seem like they have a fun rapport. They do. The the like buddy-buddy energy down there is really fun. This wasn't just misheard dialogue on my part. She's a civilian, right? She's part of Starfleet's program for something, 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 but she's been like seconded to the ship in in some way. Like she's not normally supposed to be on starship duty was my understanding. This sort of felt to me why why she could be emboldened to act and say the things that she does throughout the episode. Yeah, yeah. She's kind of a rogue agent. These guys got knocked out, but they didn't stay knocked out. And one of them escapes... And he's the one that's got the DNA that's compatible with Spock's. So there's a great, like, full-speed foot chase through the ship. I'll prep the booster. You catch the rabbit. Always give me the fun job. Well, you're my favorite. Where this guy winds up on an elevator with Uhura. Hi. <laughs> Nurse Chapel is chasing him around while they are, like, radioing all over the ship about the idea of we're going to beam the booster right into Spock's bloodstream once she's able to synthesize it. This is evidently <laughs> a circumstance that happens often enough on a starship. And I'm saying, like, a first contact alien escaping from Six Bay and needing to be chased down. Yeah. That it has a name. <laughs> but the dialogue was so muddy with crosstalk. That yeah. it said several times, and I still, I never got what they called this thing. Yeah, I think that there was like a name for it, and there was also like some kind of term of art that Mabenga and Nurse Chapel exchanged where it was like a do it like this other time that we did this similar thing. That really aggravated me. Like, yeah. I, I really wanted to hear that clearly, and it was impossible. You can't turn on the closed captioning and the screeners. and Especially because they said it many times, and every time I couldn't make it out. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to read Memory Alpha after this episode comes out. Yeah, yeah. Infuriating. There are a lot of crosscuts here starting now. It's the chase scene on the Enterprise and down on Kylie 279. They make it to the facility, yeah. but the problem with making it through the clear TSA gate is that you need to do the eye scan, right. and Spock's eyes are going to need the eye booster in order to uh, pass the retinal scan. Yeah, and they're only making themselves look suspicious by trying to slow roll the security process. Yeah. Everybody just wants to get through security as fast as possible, and it looks weird if you're trying to like dawdle. At the very last second, though, the booster is beamed into Spock's eye, like basically as he's leaning into yeah. the scanner. I loved the scene with Uhura on the elevator and the scientist guy because she's kind of talking to him about like stuff from his planet. And it almost seems like she's just kind of stalling his mind. Like she's just distracting him with special knowledge about like a sport that he's into. You know, tag ball? This feels like a suggestion that this ship might not have a counselor, but that Ahura might be the show's expression of that. Yeah. With her knowledge of language and culture and stuff, like she was so naturally able to wind this guy down that yeah. that maybe in addition to being its communications officer, maybe that's 
part of what makes an effective and great communications officer is not just translation, but contextualizing. Yeah, like the emotional intelligence to like see where someone is at yeah. and work them. Yeah. So they're in, down on the surface, they're into the facility. The best map in GoldenEye, I think. <laughs> facility. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love it. You got to get into those ducks. One of the best theme songs in GoldenEye. It's yeah. playing while they're walking around here. Proximity mines in facility. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> they get on an elevator because the the crew from the OSS Archer are deep in the underground layers of this thing. And on their way down... Do you think Archer's insulted by having a single nacelle ship named after him? <laughs> You know what? Thanks, guys. Thanks for the offer, but I think I'm going to hold out mm-hmm. for the double nacelle. <laughs> yeah. There's another ship in the fleet called the USS Porthos, and it's got like four nacelles, and he's like, what? <laughs> oh, come on! Are you kidding me? The Porthos gets four fucking nacelles, and I get one? <laughs> Are you joking? <laughs> yeah. That's how angry he gets? I'm more excited to watch Star Trek Enterprise now. Yeah. You're damn right you are. It's going to be fun. There's a babe in the elevator who's making eyes at Pike, but then she sees Spock's ear starting to boil, and yeah. uh, she just she boots everywhere, and the flight attendants on the elevator <laughs> have to hand out free <laughs> sweatsuits to everyone to replace their clothes. Yeah, this is an ear that looks like it needs to be lanced. (laughs) So gross. I couldn't get a good handle on whether or not... I mean, when Spock says things are painful, I'm inclined to agree, but he's such a stoic that you aren't really sure if he's going through pain, up to and including the part later on where he's screaming in pain. I wasn't exactly sure if he was doing that as a distraction or not. Yeah, I I couldn't tell how to read that. They find the crew... Una, very happy to see the captain. It's quite a look. Very happy to get called number one again. What did you think about the fucking ball smash of this scene where they're like, yeah, we used a spoon to like try to dig through the wall to make it easier for a transporter signal to get through. And then like total smash of like, well, that was stupid. You're like, <laughs> you're like a thousand meters under the surface. That would never work. <laughs> We didn't know that. (laughs) It was five seconds that I didn't understand Mm -hmm. the utility of. That day, that day Andy Dufresne had wasted (laughs) on digging a three-inch hole in a (laughs) cement wall. I have to remind myself that some birds aren't meant to be caged. There's like a uh, a pinup picture of uh, (laughs) Detmer covering the hole. Where do you even get that, number one? How did how did you get that? You're not supposed to bring materials like that into a first contact situation. What are you doing? In retrospect, we might also have considered traveling incognito. So they get out of the cells and they're heading back to the elevator and they get in a great big Star Trek fight after the aforementioned Spock scream because he's in so much pain. <laughs> and I, I like that they didn't even bother doing the morph effect of Spock's face going back to normal. Yeah. <laughs> like he literally like covers his, his head when he does the scream, and then when he lifts it back up, he's back to Vulcan looking. That's better. 
I like how this action scene was blocked. Like Jordan Morris describes this type of video game, I think is a beat em up video game, like the way the old Simpsons arcade game used to be where it's like your four characters fighting in the styles that they fight, but in kind of a wide shot right. configuration. Yeah. I like staying a little wide on this and seeing like Spock just neck pinch people <laughs> and the rest of the crew just hit people with their fists. It was fun. I also like that they're like, we don't have time to hide the bodies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> got to get to the service. They're headed up. They're in the elevator. And Pike is like, what the fuck is going on here to Una? And she's like, well, I can't tell you because there's people on this elevator that are not read into the great secret that brought you, me, and Spock together as characters to have this new TV show based on us. Yeah. And uh, Pike blows past this she's not cleared for this i don't give a damn he's willing to let some discovery secrets out to the people in this room and uh what she says is that they are less than a light year from where discovery went through the time butthole i really like this tie-in i was wondering how much this show would be tied into discovery outside of like the a few lines about Burnham and missing her or whatever. Yeah. But that you get a plot tie-in. Right. Really elegantly done. It's interesting. Like the Kylie basically watched the fight that surrounded that moment through their telescopes and were able to gather enough technical information about what was going on that they could reverse engineer some of warp tech and build a matter antimatter reactor which they chose to go in the direction of making a bomb. The bomb, Dimitri. Right. And this inspires Pike to basically say, like, General Order 1 is out the window. This hole has been looped with this knowledge. (laughs) Yeah. So he has everybody but him and Spock beam back up to the ship out of the elevator. And when they get to the top and the doors open to a bunch of security people with their weapons drawn. He asks to be uh, put in touch with the leader of the Kylie. In a moment that pays homage to the day the earth stood still, the movie that Pike was watching in the very beginning. Yeah. Like this is an interaction that I think he's been fantasizing about in his time (laughs) at the cabin, right? Yeah. It's fun when you're, when one of those browser tabs comes true, right? (laughs) Oh yeah. That's the best. (laughs) I was just looking at something like this in my tax documents folder. <laughs> Except this interaction doesn't go so great. This leader that he's having this moment with is not convinced of a peaceful outcome to things. Yeah. She sees this as a solution to her problem, but not in a diplomatic way at all. According to her, this is a strategic conflict that can be resolved strategically and not diplomatically. Whoever has the biggest stick wins. This debating like the foundational presuppositions of politics with an alien species stuff is just like, put that in my veins, Star Trek shit. Right, right. And she can't see it until he has them bring the entrepreneur into the airspace over the capital city and... uh this flex is the, like, I am carrying a bigger stick than you, even though you think you have me in custody. Yeah, this is big ship energy, for sure. And this is why he allows himself to be perp-locked away, too. Like, he knows with his voice yeah, he could escape this. If it had just been the USS Archer, it wouldn't have impressed them, right? They'd be like, oh, one man. to sell? You can't, what are you talking to us about here? 
I mean, is that how number one and her two crew people got caught anyway? Like, they didn't respect <laughs> the single nacelle. No, no. It doesn't command respect the way two nacelles does. What was number one even doing being the captain of a single nacelle ship? She's better <laughs> than that. Yeah. It's crazy. I think they actually spoke to that point with Admiral Bob in the early scene where he said, like, she didn't want to go on vacation while the Enterprise gets refit. Yeah. So She's a workaholic. Yeah. She was slumming it on the Archer. Yeah. I guess you'll take any job <laughs> if what you really want to do is work. The people of Kylie are inspired at this point to give diplomacy a try, but the diplomacy does not go well, Enterprise. They're watching this in a McLaughlin group. Issue two. They've got like Kylie CNN up on the screen and they're watching the president lady that he met debating the rebellion leader. It's kind of fun. They're watching the news, right? Yeah. The news on the planet. Yeah. It is not going good. And they're kind of debating what to do about this in the McLaughlin group. Like, It doesn't seem like this has inspired a good outcome. It doesn't seem like this diplomacy is going to work. And we get a little more backstory on Lieutenant Nguyen Singh. She says a phrase. Not believing you're going to die is what gets you killed. What did you just say? That is very meaningful to Pike in this moment because of the flashbacks that he's been experiencing. He turns those flashbacks into inspiration for lawyer Pike. Yeah. Because when he beams down there, he uses his personal story as a way to create space for peace. He says, allow me to reintroduce myself. This is Pike Actual, unloafed. Hi, sorry to interrupt. I'm Christopher Pike. My world is called Earth. And though it's far from here, uh, my people and yours are uh, very much alike. I'll give you a couple of beats just to take it all in. I know you've likely never seen anyone this good looking. Yeah. And if you ever devise uh, genetic engineering as advanced as what Nurse <laughs> Chapel is doing, you too can look this good. Yeah. I would suggest diverting all of your technological resources into hair technologies. <laughs> he has also beamed down, I guess, with like a PowerPoint presentation because he shows some footage of Earth as it is currently but then he shows Earth as it was in the 21st century, our Earth, including some January 6th footage, which really got my attention. I was very surprised to see that used in Star Trek. The tension in this scene is is really extreme between what you're seeing on the television and also the AV guy standing next to the TV. Like, how did you get control of the display? We were actually doing something here. He, he's like pulling HDMI cables out desperately trying to get it to turn off. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, so the January 6th footage is shown along with an utterance of a reference to a second civil war and eventually World War III, and then we are showing like nukes going off over Paris and New York and stuff. I mean, there's a description of a side that can't be negotiated with, a side that had rejected logic and functional government or whatever that, uh, I mean, it was fairly explicit. Yeah. You know, in visual and in dialogue. Yeah. I'm not saying I didn't appreciate it. I'm just saying I was like stunned to see it because it's still... I think a very painful memory for a lot of people. And right. like I, I think that you might not use like 9-11 footage in exactly the same way, you know? 
I think it's so interesting that Star Trek's message for so long has been, especially like in first contact contexts, has been like, be like us as a way to inspire. And this is the mirror image of that message. Pike is going, don't be like us, be better than us. Like you're at a point that we used to be and it did not go well. Don't go through the shitty part of what we went through to get to the good part of what we have now. Right. You don't have to. The other thing that is totally amazing about this scene is how many extras they cut away to watching this. And Mm -hmm. I wondered if they put loaf on this many extras or if they have some sort of like AR technology where they can throw that on in post. It's 21st century digital loaf. I wonder, and, right? Like, it seems like an impossible task to give as many extras this amount of loaf. And yet, there they are. <laughs> I mean, it's the townspeople watching the news. It's the montage that follows where this is a society that has decided to build their own starships based on the models of double nacelled starships yeah. <laughs> that they're given. They're skipping right past the single nacelle models. Yeah. They don't want to fuck around with those. No. They left those in the dust heap of history where they belong. Yeah. Along with their warlike ways. Yeah. This is great. If you could skip World War Three, that'd be really nice. World War Three is the single nacelle ship of <laughs> historical <laughs> moments, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's the melty face that Pike would like to avoid, too. Right. Right. So with... The satisfaction of a mission accomplished, we meet back up at Starbase One and a conference room with Admiral Bob, where- Is this Jupiter Station, the oft-referenced but never depicted? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's near Jupiter. So I, I, uh, yeah, they're talking to Admiral Bob about how many strings he had to pull to A, learn about what went down with Discovery and B, keep- the crew of the Enterprise out of space jail. How did you convince Starfleet our actions did not violate General Order 1? I used a loophole. It's a great way to start your series. <laughs> that mission is a real need-to-know basis situation, and very yeah. few people need to know it. Yeah. So Pike is sort of given the Kirk at the end of Star Trek Four treatment. You have your ship and whatever crew you would like. Hell of a job, Chris. Looks like number one is going to be back on the team. He also has a hang with... Lieutenant La'an, who joined Starfleet because of Una and didn't tell him until they were in that elevator on the way up. This was a a bit of conflict between them that I thought was maybe not as well realized as it could have been. Like, I didn't really understand why it was such a big deal that she didn't say, like, also, I happen to have a personal relationship with her. Like, maybe this is a show that is very aware of what Michael Burnham does on Star Trek Discovery and... (laughs) Was like, I am not like her. I'm not going to (laughs) have a personal investment in every mission we go on. Right. And maybe this is the first and last time I do it. She also sort of gets the Captain Kirk treatment, though she did not treat her captain with trust in that mission. She gets an offer letter for a job as chief of security pushed across the desk at her. And then she writes a second number on it and pushes it back across at him. And he's like, "Mm, I'm going to check with the budget department. 
Pike draws a picture of a single nacelle ship and pushes it back towards <laughs> Laon. And she's like, oh, <laughs> oh, God. You know what? I will, I, I'll actually take the first number. <laughs> the uh, button on the episode is a welcome back to the ship, Captain. Crew rotation is complete. Also, Lieutenant Kirk is aboard. That's right. But it's not James Kirk. No. It's Mustache Kirk. Mustache. His brother. <laughs> His brother. Yeah. His older brother? Seems that way. Yeah. Not a lot of mustaches in Star Trek. I was very surprised to see one. I read that Samuel Kirk is the one character not James Kirk that Shatner played mm-hmm. in Star Trek. He he played one other character that wasn't James T. Kirk, and it was his own older brother who has a mustache. Mustache. So is this Paul Wesley then playing this character and James Kirk? Because oh, James know. Kirk isn't going to be on the show until the second season. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I like the cut of this guy's jib. That's a very handsome mustache. Mustache. I really hope the stash stays all season and there's no reason to cut it. Yeah. No, I think I think he canonically is a mustacheman. That's great. Yeah. I'm a big fan. I think it's Shatner played his brother's corpse <laughs> in one episode of TOS. Yeah. Or something. Lieutenant Shavasana. <laughs> Did you like this episode of Strange New Worlds, Adam? I really did. I mean, there are some parts that kind of shouldn't work, except they do just based on the strength of the performances. Yeah. And I think like one of them happens at the end, like Pike's recitation of the Star Trek Lord's Prayer on the bridge in front of everyone. God, like on paper, you got to be sure that that works because ending your pilot episode with that <laughs> and it for some reason clanging, like that is almost walking in the sand to make a combat emblem. Yeah. If you don't nail it. And that's the thing about how the show has been cast at this point. Like it's hitters at every position and. I really like the episode in totality. I mean, I went into it predisposed to liking it because of Anson Mount and Pike being such a favorite character of mine. And it just didn't disappoint. Yeah. If you're a Pikeman, uh, I think you're going to like this episode. And I think it's filled out nicely with some interesting ancillary characters that I'm excited to get to know. And God, like compare this show to Star Trek Discovery. And I feel like you know a few of these characters more than Discovery Bridge Crew people after one episode for whatever reason. Like La'an especially. Like, yeah. We don't know all about her, but we know more about her than we know about some Disco Crew people after four seasons. So give me more of that. Yeah, I'm into it. I also really liked the episode. I think it is a very promising start, which is rare in Star Trek history. Like, Wow. Yeah, good call. The promising start to a series... Uh, has almost never happened. <laughs> this could be the first instance. Yeah. It's why we tell everyone to listen to the second episode of our show and not the first. <laughs> Written by Akiva Goldsman, and I have often found that his writing is not exactly to my taste, but I thought that this was really nicely written and really some interesting meditations on some very Star Trek themes without feeling like they're just kind of warmed over rehashes of things from previous episodes and 
some kind of clever twists on what Star Trek can do. And I thought it looked beautiful. I think that the ship looks really cool. All the sets look dope. And like we have barely explored them. And yeah, I'm very, very excited for this series. And I really enjoyed watching this episode. Me too. I'm looking forward to the rest of the season. For sure. Do you want to see if we have anything in the Priority One inbox, Adam? I'm headed that way. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Oh, oh, look at that. There's nothing in there. That's because this episode is a Max Fun Drive episode. And uh, if you're listening to this, you're listening to it after the Max Fun Drive. And uh, the Max Fun Drive is our one time of year where we make a special push for new and upgrading members. But if you're listening... Not during the Max Fund Drive. We can always use your support. And if you'd like to help us out, there's a couple of ways. Monthly support can be got at MaximumFun.org slash join. Or if you'd like to send a message or promote something, go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron and set up a Priority One message on The Greatest Discovery. They're only ever going to make more new Star Trek, so we really need your support to keep this show going. So thanks. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself in Edward Larkin? I'm going to give it to Dr. Mabenga. He just seems like he is having a great time in this episode. And I love the never get the house dressing line. There seems to be a real fun energy to his relationship with Pike. Yeah. That is like a fun camaraderie that is an expression of male friendship that is non-toxic and cool. Yeah. And, you know, I think that uh, the friendships on the other new series of Star Trek often have so much, like, emotional baggage attendant to them and so much weight on them all the time, and they are rarely having fun with each other. It was such a breath of fresh air to just have Pike walk in, be really happy to see his buddy, and they're joking around and having a great time. And uh, I can't wait to learn more about Dr. Mabenga and all of his silly ideas, because I think the house dressing is probably delicious. Like, hmm? if it's a good restaurant, why wouldn't it be? We recently went to a restaurant that had, instead of Thousand Island dressing, had Million Island dressing. Yeah, and we didn't get to try it. I wish I had gotten that Reuben, because yeah. I don't know what I'm missing. We We went to this restaurant for lunch, and we knew that we were going to be back there after dinner. And you were like, I will order that sandwich when we go back. But we got there too late and they'd shut the kitchen down. Yeah. Oh, missed opportunity. Yeah. We got bit by that bug over and over again on tour. Seriously, man. It's the kind of thing that would almost make you want to turn to the prepackaged sandwich or wrap, but not quite. No, I know you wouldn't do that. I would never do that. I'd rather go to bed hungry. <laughs> Ben, my Edward Larkin is going to be Akiva Goldsman, actual. Wow. <laughs> I say that because at a much smaller scale, I know you and I both know how much more difficult it is to be a project's writer and producer and director all yeah. at the same time. Yeah. Directing is not something that Akiva Goldsman does a lot throughout his career. And only in the last decade has he done so. There are a few moments in this episode that underscored that its director may have been distracted by other tasks. One of them was that repetition of a line we didn't hear or understand. Like this was a colloquialism that is made to be a thing that we can't possibly repeat. Right. 
And another part was when the escapee from Six Bay arrives on the bridge and Nurse Chapel introduces herself to Ahura. Nurse Chapel does this without her face being seen on camera, even though she shot in profile with Ahura. And that's a coverage problem. Like yeah. when you're a director, I don't think there's any excuse for a main character to deliver a line of dialogue like this with their face totally covered by their hair. And I know there are more examples of this in this episode, but those are the two that I noted. And that is just like, it's so hard to do everything all at once Yeah. on one project. And this is not like, and I'm not blaming him at all, but this is like, this is a lot for one person. And that is how things like this happen in an episode. There's also a perverse incentive here, which is that the director of the pilot of a series gets paid every time you make an episode of it because yeah. they established the creative style. So yeah. it was really on the studio to say, no, you're biting off more than you can chew or to give him the trust of that. But, you know, and maybe it's a like you've done a ton of great stuff for us and here is an annuity that you can basically count on for a long time. Yeah. I mean, especially on Star Trek, he's directed two episodes of Discovery and two episodes of Picard in addition to this episode of Strange New Worlds. And I think- There's a lot that is that works super well about it too. Like it's not, it's not a failure. Yeah, but- absolutely. And also I want to say like being a director is not a job- for which perfection is an option. Right. Like you do the best you can given the creative constraints that you're given. And this episode is super strong. Yeah. But there were just two two parts that I feel like could have been caught by a director who wasn't also a producer and a writer. So that's why I'm making him the Larkin. Well, good Larkin, Adam. We've got so much more Star Trek bearing down on us. We are still in the midst of our 25 weeks of new Trek and 29 episodes or whatever. Mm-hmm. We're just a weekly show forever now, right? Forever. Yeah. Forever. <laughs> and uh, God, I mean, if this episode portends what is coming for the rest of the season, I think uh, we're going to have a lot of fun covering Strange New Worlds. Yeah, I think you're right about that. So the next episode of The Greatest Discovery will be about the season finale of Star Trek Picard season two. That'll be out on Tuesday next week. And then after that, we'll, we'll be back at a weekly schedule. So we'll come back with season one, episode two of Strange New Worlds the following Tuesday. And uh, we're really looking forward to all of this stuff. And really appreciative of both our full-time producer, Wendy Pretty, and the Miriam associate producers that have been brought on to help with production as we've gotten so much overlap of Star Trek series the last few weeks. We are so lucky to have them. Now the Trek is just firing episodes at us with both barrels. <laughs> yeah, we really couldn't do it without them, and we couldn't do the tour at the same time either. It's been great to have the kind of help we've had. And we really, really appreciate everyone who has stepped up in the drive. This is the last episode from us during the Max Fun Drive, and it's also Adam's birthday, so you have to support. Yeah. Thanks to everyone for your support already. I'm sure it's been a great drive. The Greatest Discovery is an expert Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica. It's produced and edited by Wendy Pretty. Thank you to Adam Ragusia for the original music that we use on this show. He's got a great podcast and a YouTube cooking channel that you should definitely check out. And thanks to Bill Tilly, who handles the social media for Uxbridge Shimoda. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Greatest Trek. 
and use the hashtag greatest discovery to talk about the show online. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with more of the greatest discovery. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.